This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via other participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. Everybody to episode 90 of the Ever Forever Bristol City podcast. Can't believe we've done 90 episodes in the time that we've been uh, doing uh, doing this. Uh, but uh, the final score today at Ashton Gate, it finished City 1, Fulham 1. Same score as that uh, last match before the lockdown, which is such a long, long time ago. But not so long ago compared to the fact that uh, we're still uh, looking for a home win for the first time in um, 15 attempts, which is uh, a bit uh, of an unusual statistic. But there we go. Well, joining me this evening is uh, Ian. Um, Ian, let's have your, uh, as we usually do, your thoughts on the 90 minutes action. Well, I think you could, it was quite easy to see um, who was the side that came down from the Premier League last year because we struggled to get the ball off them at the start. And... I think the side showed a huge amount of character just to stay in the game because, let's be honest, they were the better side and Mitrovic could have easily had three in the last 10 minutes. Uh, as, as I think we, I haven't seen us that worn out at the end of a game for a long time. But I think one thing Pearson can say to the lads is, right, you've obviously all got ambitions that you want to play in the Premier League. Take a look at their players and where they are. That's where you need to be. And then... Remember, they were relegated last season because they weren't good enough to stay in the Premier League. And I think that's, that's a big learning curve for our lads. Uh, that being said, I thought their keeper made two world-class saves, uh, one over the bar from Wells and one he pushed up in the air before Palmer turned it in from what looked a really difficult angle uh, to get City a point. And... Uh, we were decent in parts. We, we, we gave it the pile on at the end with the subs coming on. I thought Joe Williams looked like a midfield player. And if we can get him fit and keep him fit, I, 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 for example, I'd like to see him start at Millwall, uh, particularly if Masengo's still not fit. Uh, and uh, Casey Palmer showed possibly what you can do if you play him as a 10. But remember, he, he is a 10. He's not a 7. He's not an 11. And he's not an 8. So I'd play him as a 10. Or don't bother playing. Yeah, yeah. in the uh, starting lineup, uh, everybody was surprised to see uh, Masengo uh, injured. Uh, do we know any detail on that? Because most people they were already fearing Fulham, but uh, this uh, made those fears even stronger. I would have thought. Uh, I, I heard that Masengo has got a strain. Manage uh, anybody that's carrying that kind of niggle. I was quite surprised to see Baker on the bench, but he did well when he came on, apart from the one horrendous mistake that let Mitrovic in. Mitrovic should have scored, but he completely missed the target. Uh, but, I mean, if you pay 28 million quid for a centre forward, you should get quite a good player. And the way he links play, 
There are times today when we had three players around him and he still got the ball off to a player coming through in the attack. That really impressed me. He's, he's a big lad. He's very good in the air. Uh, you, you, you can't push him or bully him or do anything like that. And I think it was probably a real eye-opener for Rob Atkinson. If you look at the level he's been playing his career and all of a sudden he's up against a £28 million centre-forward, £11 million in Bobby Reid, £12 million in uh, Wilson on the, the right flank. And he, he looks a class player every time you see him. Harry so, Wilson, yeah. Harry yeah. Wilson, yeah. I think he, to be honest, I think uh, Fulham should have won the game, but we showed a huge amount of character. And I said before the game, I'd be very happy to get, if somebody said to me, you can have two points now and not play Bournemouth or not play Fulham and see how it goes at Millwall and uh, Peterborough, I'd have bitten their arm off because I, 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 that's how I feel about it at the moment. Yeah. yeah. How did you think uh, young, uh, I get the name right, it is George Tanner. Yeah. How do you think uh, he did at right back today? Because, uh, you know, he's played at a much lower level coming up against some uh, fast players. You know, he got taken off uh, with 20 minutes to go for uh, a Palmer substitution. But do you think he acquitted himself reasonably well? I think he did extremely well. And I think he also showed when we changed shape, when Baker came on, that he'd be an even more effective wing back than full back. Uh, but I thought he had a great game. I mean, the best part of the first half was him slamming into a block tackle uh, in front of the Dolman stand. And that seemed to completely lift the crowd. And it was probably one of the few things we had to cheer about in the first half. But yeah, I think he's a good player. I think uh, people get tired of hearing me say this, but I'll keep on saying it because I believe it. We're better off playing with three at the back because we've got three good central defenders. And that allows us to play an extra player in central midfield. So you imagine if you had a central midfield of James, Williams and Masengo, that's not a bad central midfield. Then no. you've got the two wing-backs in Tanner and De Silva. Um, and you've got a choice of Vyman Martin, Vyman Wells, Wells Martin, whatever you want to do up front. So uh, I, I think that that was the way forward. And we certainly looked better in the attacking situation. If you play three at the back, it also gives you a chance to play a 10 because you can go three, four, one, two. Um, and a lot of sides are doing that now. And we've got several players who can play in that 10. I thought Andy Boyman had an interesting game. Started off on the right wing. Then he then he, he uh, came into a 10. And I think he finished up playing right wing back. So, uh, fair play to him. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say about Weiman, that he is more effective uh, at home, uh, sorry, away when we play on the break. And he was playing all over the place. I mean, what did you, uh, what did you think of... Um, uh, his overall game today. He did look a bit lost, as you say. He was popping up all over the place. He, he wasn't just doing that. Uh, from the, the sidelines, they were saying to him when Palmer came on, let Palmer play 10, you, you go back to the right side. Uh, I don't like him wide. I don't think he's as effective as... Um, but I suppose it's one of those where you go, well, horses for courses. I was quite surprised to see uh, that Semenya wasn't in the squad today. And... I don't know if he's got an injury uh, or Zach Viner um, has got an injury, but they just don't seem to have figured. But then again, we have got three games in a week. So let's see um, what the squad is at Millwall and what the squad is at, at, at Peterborough. Yeah, I was going to ask you the same about uh, Viner, whether he's injured or not, because he didn't. Uh, he, he wasn't in the squad. Neither was uh, Semenyo. Um, we say we're a lot fitter than we were. And I'm sure we are. Uh, I thought last week at QPR, all their players seem to have that bite and energy that uh, Masengo displays. And I thought again today, you know, there's one thing, they're good footballers, but they were all on it. And, you know, that fitness, I'm not saying, you know, we're not fit, but they did seem sharper than us, never mind their ability on the ball. Do you think I'm being harsh with that observation, Ian? Well, if, if you look at, their squad, Mitrovic will be earning more than double what any player at Ashton Gate is earning. And because I know somebody at Fulham, I can I can tell you approximately what he thinks he's earning, and that's sixty five thousand a week. Bearing in mind they signed him for twenty eight million, so or he has been signed for twenty eight million. He's changed hands for a lot of money. Now that is way 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 different from what you're going to uh, face most weeks in the Championship. So I think it's, it's not harsh. And the other thing that you've got to realise is that when you're not in possession, 
you work a lot harder. Um, we're not in possession a lot. You know, QPR, we had about 38% of the ball. I, I haven't looked at the stats today, but I, I would have thought Fulham would have dominated dominate possession. What impressed me a bit more today, I thought some of our crosses were good. Wells missed, missed a good one from a brilliant Chris Martin cross in the second half when I thought it was easier to edit in and edit over. Um, and uh, we we looked as though we, I mean, I mean the, the, the save that the lad made from uh, Masengo from another right wing cross, uh, not Masengo, what we're talking about, Wells, uh, I, I thought was an absolute worldie. And I mean, he nearly kept the goal out apart from he was struggling to get across his line after he'd made the first save and, and Palmer managed to flick it in from a, a very strange angle. So no, no, I think we'll need to be fitter because we don't dominate possession. And until we start dominating possession, we're, and other sides have got a lot more of the ball. Um, and, and in another sense, when we do dominate possession, you get a game like Middlesbrough where we had, we had 62% of the ball and didn't do anything with it. So those are the changes that I think we need to make. And perhaps having a midfield three of Masengo, James and Joe Williams, uh, and if Masengo's not fit, you could put Andy King in there. Um, I don't think that's a that's a bad midfield. And it, it has got... Um, it's got some defensive capability in it. It's got a work rate. It's got a fitness. And you're probably going to get the wing-backs on the ball more to cross the ball. And if you're not winning a game or you're behind, late in the game, you can get the likes, take the wing-backs off and bring the likes of Semenya and Odauda or Pring on to start being more aggressive and getting more crosses in. So um, I think of all the games I've seen, I mean, that's the best. I think that's our best home performance of the season. But as Nigel Pearson said after the game, we could have very easily lost. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, Ian. I think if you look at the games, you're on this five-match unbeaten run. We could have lost any of them. But equally, you could say, could we have won any of them? I mean, we've won two of them. Yeah, so we must be doing something right. You said about possession stats. The first half, I just caught a glimpse of that. Uh, just on something I was reading about 15 minutes ago. First half, it was 31-69. Overall, 36-64. Um 14 um, shots from us, five, five on target. Five on Our target. shots on Our target, shots on target uh, has, has improved, improved, hasn't it? Well, it had to, uh, because if you look, the games against Luton in Blackpool, we had one shot per 45 minutes of the game. And in the second half against Blackpool, we didn't have a single shot on target. Now, that it, unless you've got an amazing conversion rate, in other words, you're scoring with every single shot you have on target, you ain't going to get many goals, and I, and I was glad that the shots on target went up. I don't I don't know what Fulham's count was, but I think in terms of outstanding saves, um, I I think Bentley his saves weren't quite as outstanding as the saves that their keeper made, albeit yeah, their keep, their their keeper made less of them. Yeah. No, I mean, and I said at the uh, at the start of the pod. Um, Another 22 shots raining in on our goal, of which only five were on target from the visitors. I mean, is that something as a manager you you would be worried about? One day, you know, a greater proportion of them is going to go in. Um, yeah. I, I would say, yeah, uh, I would be, um, I would be worried because it, it shows that we're easy to play through. I mean, today was, you know, you've got to look at today as a little bit of a one-off because the, the cleverness of the Fulham players and their movement. Um, and you don't want to keep harping on about money, but I will. You know, when you sign Wilson for 12 million quid, you, you're going to get that kind of cleverness. That, um, I thought one thing that let us down on, on quite a few occasions today was our first touch. I thought there were occasions... Uh, when uh, there was a little, clever little ball over the top, Backinson running through and his first touch is a pass. Uh, Chris Martin's first touch, which is normally pretty good, wasn't. Um, I would say my overall uh, issue with, with some of the players is they seem very, very nervous. And I think this is something to do with the, with the home form. They, they, they seem nervous. But as Pearson said after the game, if you start going gung-ho against a team like that. They'll just play through you. 
And and in the end, they nearly did. So I was I was very happy when the referee blew his whistle, to be honest. And and we got a point, and I, and I take another point against Bournemouth. Uh, the two away games, I think, are are from where we are, are winnable. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that most definitely. Dave, just a quick comment to um, folks. Twenty three. Oh, does Ian go to games? Does Ian go to games, mate? I would imagine I've seen more Bristol City games than you'll ever see in your life. And uh, yes, I did go to games, and uh, I flew back over three thousand miles to watch this one today. So, uh, if you've got anything interesting to say, put another comment yeah, up there. Yeah, Adesso said yeah. here, Dave, you sound as if you've got your head in a bucket. What I'm trying to do is avoid feedback, so I'm flicking between my mic on and off. At the moment, it's on, so you should hear me. And then when Ian speaks, then I'm remembering or trying to to uh, switch it off. Um, Oh, Red um, Robin said, don't bite, Ian, on oh, Folks 23. It wasn't a negative Ian. comment. It was a question, Ian. So there we go. But let's not get into, uh, let's let's not not get into arguments about that. Let's look at the game in a little bit of detail. I've got my normal notes here. But first half, um, it was, you know, you could tell Fulham had that uh, bit of class there. We had a couple of chances, though, Ian, didn't we? 41 minutes, Martin got a shot away, comfortably saved by the goalkeeper. And then Tyreek, he's got a reputation, well, a slight reputation for hitting them in uh, from distance that first half you know that was probably the sum total of our chances those two little efforts towards the end did you see it like that yeah I thought the first half uh, they looked far more likely uh, but we were reasonably reasonably solid um, and uh, I think you, you just when you looked at it um, I would say being even um in the first half, fair enough. Uh, second half, once again, both sides could have actually won the game. But it had we won it, it would have been a far luckier win than the win at QPR. And, and that, as Nigel Pearson said, was, was ju- just us being more efficient than them. I mean, I think if Fulham were efficient in front of goal, we could, we could have had Iden today. Uh, but they're not. And that's probably why they're not still in the Premier League, because uh, that was a cracking game of football between two sides who, who both tried to play. Now, we didn't quite have the calmness and the assuredness and the movement to get us on the ball and get us attacking. Um, but then again, Pearson's trying to... Uh, it, it said it would take three years to get us anywhere near being good enough to go up. And I think the way that we're grinding out points... And it sounds a funny expression when you've just drawn a home game, but the way we're grinding out points is something that we wouldn't have done last season. And we certainly wouldn't have done it towards the end of Dean Holden or Lee Johnson's reign when we were losing seven or eight on the trot. Uh, So uh, I have to say, I've rarely been pleased with a draw at home, but I I have to say that I was pleased. Um, I was pleased with that. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think, I'll get my head out of the bucket here. I think the thing, I think the thing is, Ian, we're one-fifth of the season in, as near as makes the difference, nine games. Yeah, extrapolate the 13 points we've got. Um, that comes to 65 points. And that's been our level under the Lee Johnson better years prior to when he got the uh, bullet, 65 points. That's going to get you 12th up to 10th maybe ninth. would you? You know, so it, it's very simplistic, extrapolating the points, but, you know, that, that 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 that's that's what it is. It's just slightly above mid table, which at the start of the season, if you'd have offered everybody a place in the top twelve after what we've been through, you'd say, I'll take that. Agreed? Well I I think you should start every season and say, Right, we're in a league. We'd like to try and finish top of it. Who are we up against? And if you if I give you an example, and it might be a good example or a bad example. I think it's a decent example. Norwich were looking like getting promoted from the minute they kicked a ball last season and they went up automatically um, and they looked a really good side. Have they won a game yet in the Premier League? No. And it's that golf in quality. And years ago, there used to be a bit of a gap. Now it, it's massive, the gap in quality. And I think that gap is beginning to... Um, develop between League One and the Championship as well. 
And we are under Nigel Pearson, I think, um, a mid-table championship side at best. I think we're short of um, a, a top-quality striker, and I don't mean a Mitrovic. That's you're not going to buy a bloke like that. But I'm talking about somebody who can actually hold the ball up and play in the players around him. Because I think lots of players, Naki Wells for one, would benefit greatly from that. Um, but we have got some quality players now. If we can get them all fit and keep them all fit, I, I think we've got got a side that could surprise a few people. But as soon as we get a, a bad run of injuries to two or three players, all of a sudden the quality drops a level. Uh, and I think it, it's it's important to look at the... Um, when people say we're making progress, I, I want to see that progress on the field. Uh, and I think th- there could be other ways of looking at it. Tact- tactically, we could play a lot more attacking against, I'll call them the lesser teams or the teams at our level at Ashton Gate. Um, I, I don't think, you know, the, the sides that finish up near the top, we could probably sit down and say, these three, are, these are going to be, pick four teams and uh, two of those are going to go up automatically. So most people would go for Fulham in West Brom. Um, so I think you've got to be, You've got to be sensible about it, but you've still got to have some ambition. But I, I think the, the, the crowd is, at Ashton Gate is something that it wasn't in my earlier days, and that's patient. Uh, and the, I think the, the crowd are patient with it. I mean, Pearson's record was worse than Chris Hewton, and Chris Hewton got the sack. And I've heard very many people at the city ground calling for Pearson to get the sack. No. So, no. you know, that, that's... that's, that's that's worth noting. I think he's, um, you know, he, he, I think he said his, said himself after the game, you know, that that's the way games go. We we, yeah. we should have beaten Blackpool, but then again, we could have lost today. We could have easily lost against QPR. So that's just how it goes. And that's that's a championship. Very, that's a championship for you, isn't it? There's just a couple of points on the, uh, the actual game. Uh, as you say, Mitrovic. Yeah, class act, although he missed a few sitters by his own standard. But uh, he hit the bar just before uh, they scored. He hit the bar on 48 minutes. They scored on 50. Harry Wilson uh, across. He made a meal, I thought, when he got brought down by Cameron Pring that brought Cam uh, a yellow card. But uh, that was a typical poacher's uh, goal inside the six-yard box, a clinical header, wasn't it? And as you say, as you said earlier, these 20-odd million quids worth of player on 60-odd grand a week, you expect that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I think he hit the bar with a header towards the end as well. He hit the top of the bar. There was another shot that got deflected in it, the bar. So, I mean, Mitrovic could have easily had three goals in the last 10 minutes. He didn't. And, and like I say, perhaps that's why Fulham got relegated. But the goal itself... The ball to the far post. The number eight came in unmarked and headed it down. And the marking wasn't good around Mitrovic when he put the header in. Um, so, and one thing our defenders do uh, is they, our defenders tend to drop back too close to the goal line and not mark the attacking players. And, and I think that that's something that Nigel Pearson and his analysts and coaches could look at. I can understand that, oh, let's get back in front of the goal and I can block something, but I'd rather see them out marking um, the attacking player and stopping the effort in the first place. And I think that's happened um, quite a few times. Um, like for example, the goal at QPR, when the lad took the shot, Campering had tried to head the ball clear and he was basically led in front of Dan Bentley. So, uh, I think that's that's something we recall. Just Dave, just quickly, a couple of things I want to give a mention to a couple of people who I spoke to in the supporters club today. So there's a guy that listens regularly to us uh, in Dublin, and his name's uh, Matt Morell. No, no relative to Joe. And there's another lad, Big Matt, who uh, I I've known by face, but I don't know his surname, for example. But he came up and said, "Thanks very much for doing the podcast. Listen to it every week. I listen to the other podcasts as well." Um, and they're all different, and they've all got something going for them. And thanks very much because it helped me get through lockdown. So oh, I was—I said I'd give it both a mention, and I was absolutely chuffed with that. 
Yeah, no, that's good. Well, I think I started the pod uh, in the middle, well, at the start of lockdown and out of frustration with uh, how Lee Johnson was going. Now, I said at the beginning of the pod, uh, and I said it last week, Andy Vyman, you know, he's more impressive, that's just based on goals, away from home. And I thought today, and we said earlier that, you know, he looked a bit lost. He was popping up here, there and everywhere. But I thought, certainly in the first half, and in fact for the whole 90 minutes, Naki playing in that central role, yeah, that header that was uh, tipped over. Is, should Naki Wells be a certain starter? And could you play Wells and Vyman? Because, again, how did you view Chris Martin's performance today. I know he put in the shot that ended up with Palmer scoring. So did Vyman's game suffer because Wells was in that central role and partnering with Martin? You know, are we trying to go two, three into two won't go with that mix of players that we have? What do you, what do you say about that? Well, you've, I don't like Vyman playing wide and in fairness to Lee Johnson, when he bought him, uh, he said, I bought him to play as a striker. I bought him to play down the middle. Um, and I think that's where he's best. Um, I think the reason that he does he does better away from home is that he he passes, uh, that, that it, we're, we're playing with less of the ball as we did today, but we're playing more on the break. So if you look at the two assists he got at QPR, they were both on the break. Uh, and other, other games he's played in... Um, I'm, I'm thinking of the hat trick up at Sheffield United. Those weren't quite on the break, but but they were counter punches uh, against a good Sheffield United team. So uh, I think it's about shape, and I think when Nigel Pearson has a look at the game and, and looks at the personnel that he's got, because that's important. You can always, you can always say, well, we we ought to do this for Millwall and do that for Millwall, and then you find out Masengo's not fit. Um, so I think it's really important to. If you can, you get those three players in the same team without Vyman playing wide, and the answer is yes, you can, but you can only do it in something that's got a two up front and allows Vyman to play in the formation behind. So, if that's a, a narrow three in midfield where he was playing under Dean Holden, then perhaps uh, him in the middle of it, and then you could have Matty James and Joe Williams in there as, as the base. So, he's playing as a as a central midfield player, but more of a 10, if you will. And then there's always going to be an argument. Well, if you're going to play a 10, shouldn't it be Casey Palmer or shouldn't it be Alex Scott, who, who's another one that seems to have disappeared out of the picture? He's gone right out of the picture after that half hour when he, yeah. when he was... Uh... He's gone right out of the picture after that half hour when he was uh, played uh, out of position. Didn't uh, didn't help him himself uh, at all with uh, that performance. But as I said, played out of position. Now, interesting you say about Vyman because you said earlier in you know our back when you got players like Callas, Atkinson, and Baker, you play them, and then you got Tanner and Pringle or De Silva as the wing backs, and then you said the dream ticket midfield of um, James, William, and Masengo. You know then. You, you haven't got room for Vyman, Martin or Wells unless it's home and you play Martin, you play Vyman in that wing-back position that you said he occupied for about the last 10 minutes of the game because that midfield that you said 15 minutes or so ago, you know, uh, a fit Joe Williams, Matty James and uh, Masengo, you know, that's got a bit of everything in it, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the answer is you can play him. Um but it, you pick the, if you play that team, then you've got to pick two out of Martin, Vyman and Wells. And to be honest, that might not be a terrible thing because with three games a week, you, you need to give players some, some recovery time. And, and Chris Martin's fit as a flea, but he's 32 and he gets mullered every week. Um, so I think sometimes you've got to say, OK, well, you've had a bit of a battering. You go on the bench. And we'll start with Wells in, uh, I've nearly called him Vales then, uh, Wells in Vyman. Uh, and then you've got him to bring on for the last, well, I don't know, 20 minutes if you're a goal behind. And then, you know, you, you could, we saw today that, you know, with all the substitutions we did, we, we did lose our shape a little bit. And we the back three came up and played a bit higher, which made it easier for them to play through us. You know, uh, Wilson went through. 
and Baker just about got back with him and uh, towed the ball out or Bentley, Bentley put it out. But it was a, I mean, it, to be honest, if you just wanted to go down there, if you were in Bristol, you just wanted to watch a game of football, I think you'd have probably thoroughly enjoyed that. No, I think I think you would have enjoyed that uh, today. And as I say, Chris Martin, um, it was interesting. We, you know, he says thirty-two, and maybe he could do with a rest against uh, Millwall. I think it's on Wednesday. But I'm just harking back to that uh, first goal at um, at uh, QPR last week. That he was on the edge of the box. In fact, I think he was the one who passed to Masengo before he went off on that run. And he was there, obviously, scoring that first goal. That was one hell of a sprint. And, you know, if you've got the luxury, as you rightly say, and you could bring him on, you know, just, just not play him. You know, it's not going to weaken, it's not going to weaken us not playing him against uh, Millwall to begin with. And he's a great player to bring uh, off the bench. I mean, again, we've got this sort of. I say embarrassment of riches. It's an embarrassment of riches in the context of Bristol City, not when you look at uh, the Fulham side. I look at the Fulham side, I mean, they had um, Bobby Reed, as we know, and Bobby Dekodova Reed, as he now um, calls himself. How do you think he played? And do you agree with me? Again, apologies for repeating myself. Can you see why maybe Joe Bryan isn't getting a game? Because I thought that Antoine Anthony Robinson, number 33, was like Joe Joe Bryan on the speed. So Bobby Reed today. What did you What did you think of his performance? I thought Bobby played well, and I couldn't I couldn't really understand the booing because I mean he left, he brought in uh, a lot of money. I know he had a, a possible opportunity to come back, and he didn't because he wanted to go up London with his sister. Okay, fair enough. But he, you know, I I clapped him when he went off. I don't I don't see why you why you boo the boy. Um, Anthony Robinson, slightly before he went to Fulham, if I remember it correctly, was going to go and play for one of the Milan clubs. And it all fell through because I think Wigan were going into administration. or And then I think Fulham found out that he had a buyout clause in his contract. And he was going to go for about £12 million to Milan. He finished up going for about £2 million, I think it was. I'll, I'll double-check later on, to Fulham. Yeah, he, he's a, a cracking player. I really liked him. I think he's one of those that... A lot better going forward uh, than defending, as as a lot of modern wing backs, full backs are. But um, yeah, I, I really he, he impressed me as a player. I mean, a number a number of their players uh, impressed me. But if you look at the financial head start Fulham have had on Bristol City, uh, in the sense that they kept they went down and then they went back up that game at Wembley where Joe got to, and. You know, every time they're in the Premier League, they get £100 million, even if they finish bottom. Now, then when you come down, your first season down, you get £43 million. So with that, to pay big wages, I mean, where they are in London makes it easy for them to attract players from the likes of Chelsea and, and Arsenal and, and, and players like that that they can bring in, even if it's only on loan, and they can afford to pay the wages. So to be honest... It would be amazing if Fulham didn't um, outclass us uh, with, with the amount of money that's been wasted, spent, invested, call it what you will. But, you know, you, that, has to factor, that has to factor into, in, into it that we've now got a situation with these parachute payments where it's probably going to be two out of the three clubs that come down that go back up every year. And personally, I don't agree with it. I think they should stop the parachute payments immediately and distribute that the money more fairly across um, across the divisions. And I don't just mean the championship. I'm talking about League One and League Two as well. Um, but because it, it's not fair to give people that chance and it encourages profligacy. I mean, the first time Fulham went up, they spent every penny they had in the summer. So they spent the entire year's income on players and then finished up getting relegated. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think the thing is with, with the money, I wholeheartedly agree with you there, Ian, because that money, you know, even if you sort of gave, you know, I don't know, 20 million quid to the League One and League Two clubs or something like that, it would make uh, a hell of a difference to them. And it's not a level playing field, but I think it's a case of once you've been, once you've had one spell in the Premier League, unless you screw it up, you know, you're technically made uh, certainly if you stay two or three years 
uh, or your yo-yo club like uh, West Brom. I mean, right, let's look forward to uh, the next two games coming up before the international break. Now, we got an absolute hiding at uh, Millwall uh, last week and he, uh, last week, last season. I think it was 4-1. They bought the uh, comment from uh, even... Um, fellow pros don't usually uh, criticise each other, but I think their goalkeeper said we look. He looked like he thought we looked like we were on the beach, and then Gary Rowett commented, "Maybe not in that game, but we're a little bit of an easy touch." Millwall away and Peterborough away. They're two games that, when you talk about sides that we should beat or the lesser sides, they are two of them. So, Ian, coming from the next two games away, would you say? It's better to have maybe two draws and extend the unbeaten run to seven or, yeah, we know we want to win both, but keep the unbeaten run going or one win, one defeat. How do you see those games going and what would you prefer out of that? Because points make prizes sort of thing, but, you know, there's a psychological effect of keeping the run going, isn't there? Yeah, there is. But, I mean, unbeaten runs are, are, are one thing, but if, if you keep drawing... Uh, sooner or later, you start sliding down the table. So the, I target those two away games with four points. So if you look at it, we've picked up uh, four points from the game against uh, QPR and today's game. If we could get four points from those two games, then you're averaging two points a game and you're unbeaten. Uh, so uh, I think it, I think it's really important. I think one thing Nigel Pearson is going to have to do for that game, particularly after today, when the players were flat out at the end of it, is they he needs to utilise the players that he's got fit, um, and 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 freshen uh, freshen them up, because I know the game's not until Wednesday, so they've got four days to recover. But I, I think uh, and Millwall are no Fulham, but they're no Mugs either, um, and neither are Peterborough. So it, I think it's important that. Um, we get something out of it, um, and I think if you've got if you've got two points a game, um, then that keeps the run going, and it also keeps the points tally going, and it keeps you in touch with with the playoffs if you want to look at it that way. It also puts you more points clear of the drop zone. And um, with Derby, I understand um, from somebody that I I converse with on Twitter who's who's a big Derby fan. That they reckon they've got another, a further nine point deduction coming. So that at least takes, I mean, that sends one team down um, almost definitely, unless they have this, the, the unbelievable fight back of all fight backs. Um, so when you, when you come to the, um, when, when you, you come to looking at these games, I think it, it's really important. You saw the effect that Williams and Palmer had today. And I'm not saying, I don't know about Palmer starting. If, if we're going to play with a 10, start him. Uh, but I, I think we could freshen up that side and possibly put out a stronger team than we did today. You imagine if Baker starts and Williams starts, I think arguably that could be a, a, a stronger lineup than the one we started with today. Yeah, I'd agree with what you say there because Williams, he was bought as he was meant to be our pivot player in uh, the middle of the park and his career has been uh, racked by injuries, but he showed enough little touches today. I thought he actually looked a half-decent player and I, I, at the cameos that he's had prior to today, I was a bit meh about him really, to be absolutely uh, absolutely honest. But uh, no, I mean, Bill Wall away is, is never an easy place to go. But as you say, they've got that extra day's recovery. And a couple of people put on Twitter, you know, they ran themselves into the ground today. There was one later on, one thing later on I noticed in the closing stages of the game. Callas was busting a gut to close down one of the players on the, well, our right flank. Yeah, and you could see his his head and his lungs were pounding to close down that player. And that's the one thing that, um, that, that, that Pearson has got that he's instilled there is that commitment to the cause. Interestingly, Ian, he came down to the touchline for the last 20 minutes and that seemed to lift them, didn't it? Yes? Did you think that was um, a key part of the afternoon? Yeah, I, I, I'm not... I'm one of those people that is... Um, 
I mean, to be honest, I've seen pictures of Curtis Fleming. I've never met him, but I think if he was shouting at me from the sideline, I think I'd probably do what he said. Um, I'm, I'm not big on this Pearson's in the stand because he's sat in there and he's got an analyst with him on a laptop who's giving him the ins and outs of uh, a catch, you know what, on every single thing that's happening on the field. So he's not lacking information and he's got a, an earpiece in that he can signal down to one of the coaches and say, right, tell Tanner I want him 10 yards further up the field or anything like that. But I think when he came down there at the end and put the subs on, it gave us that little bit of impetus. Uh, and sometimes, like I said, in the first half, it only takes a, a crunching tackle or something to get the crowd going at Ashton Gate. Uh, and in fairness, let's be honest, the crowd haven't had a lot to shout about over the last two or three seasons. So, in, in fairness, it got them going. I, I, yeah, I like Williams. Like I said to earlier on, he's a good player. We just, we just need to get him fit and keep him fit. Yeah. Um, and the same, the same could be said, said for a lot of them. I mean, but touch wood, if you looked at the bench today, O'Dowder was back, um, so he could play instead of instead of Cam Pring. You've got Joe Williams is back. He could play start instead of Backinson, and Backinson reverts to the bench even if Masengo's not fit. So there are options. We've got Andy King who can come in and do a good job in midfield, especially on a Wednesday night away at Millwall. Cause it's, it's never easy. Yeah. Um, so so I, I think we've got options and I think we need to utilise them in order to keep the squad fit and then go into the international break with not very many injuries. And I think even at the, at the end of the international break, I think Robbie Cundy would be available. So I think that would be... Uh, and that would be interesting because I, I'd like to see him play uh, because he, he had a great time on loan to Gillingham and, and their fans. Now, I know it's only League One, but that's where Rob Atkinson came from and excelled. So, you know, let's not write the kid off because he's only played in League One. I think he's a big, he, he's a big, tough lump of a kid. And sometimes, you know, if Callas gets an injury, it's either him or Zach Viner at right centre back because we've let, Taylor Moore out on loan to Hearts. And in terms of a left centre-back, Taylor's gone up to Grimsby. No, it's interesting you say about um, about about Cundy because he would be vying on the bench for that slot with uh, Zach Viner. And I'm just wondering, somebody put on the, uh, the text feed here on the podcast that, you know, is Viner the sort of player that Pearson uh, really fancies? You mentioned um, uh, a few moments ago Curtis Fleming. Uh, he came in originally to uh, cover while uh, Paul Simpson was off being uh, treated for, for his uh, cancer condition, which thankfully he's now over. And it was an initial three-month contract. But he's been named as assistant manager, which is very different to, I, I can't remember what Downing and Simpson are called, but that's quite a key appointment. And I've noticed a few threads on various media that, you know, since Curtis Fleming's been here, we've adopted a few different techniques, the finer points. I'm sure if Dave was on, he'd point them out to us. But former teammate of his, how, how, would you say that Downing and Simpson might feel a little bit threatened or is it, you know, all all pals together and we've got this massive back room now, Pearson, um, Curtis Fleming, Pat Mounting, Khalifa Cisse, Downing and Simpson. That's that's a team and a half on the bench, really, isn't it? You know, of uh, assistants. But what do you think of Fleming's appointment as assistant manager and that term, assistant manager? Well, it's that old thing about what's in a name, isn't it? I mean, Lee Johnson was a head coach, but he said he had final say on players coming in. Uh, so... I mean, for me, it's, it's one of those things I look at and say, who cares, really, if we've got an assistant manager or we've got another coach. I, I would like to know how their duties are divided. In other words, does Downing work with the defence and uh, uh, Simpson work with the forwards? Or how, how does, because Nigel Pearson often says, well, I, I don't go out, I'm out there, I'm around the training field, but I don't go in and do the hands-on coaching. Um, so, for example, I think one of the things that could come out of that game, and I think we need to work on, uh, with no disrespect to anybody, is first touch, uh, ball skills. Because I think there, there are times in a game when we were in, but just that poor first touch stopped us from, from uh, maximising on a chance. 
so I'd, I'd like to see, but I'd like it would be interesting to know if you I'll call it who does what. So you know, to, and where where's is there any separation in the roles at all, or, or I don't know who do, who does set pieces. We were told last season that Pat Pat Mountain did set pieces. Well, he's a goalkeeping coach, so does that mean he does defensive set pieces and somebody else does the attacking ones? I think it'd be interesting to um, to know that and ask the questions, but. Honestly, I mean, it might be that he, I can't imagine by the look of him that he's the, um, he's the nice copper to Pearson's hard copper. I think you've got two hard coppers there. So perhaps the two coaches are the nice coppers. I, I don't know. That, perhaps that's how it works. Well, look, here we've had a few little techie problems today, nothing major. I'll play it back and apologies to anybody whose enjoyment, if I may use that word, has been uh, spoiled a little by these uh, teething problems. I did get a, a super-duper mic that I haven't had a chance to set up yet. But uh, final point, in, I just want to look at the league table. I mean, it's, as we say, it's a fifth of the season gone. And if you look at the league table, um, you know, there's, a, there's an element of predictability about it. But the cuckoos in the nest, or the cuckoo in the nest, the main cuckoo in the nest, Coventry City. I mean, Mark Robbins is Mark Robbins, isn't it? Yeah, he's done a yeah. tremendous job there, hasn't he? You know, they're up there, two points off the top, you know, 19 points from nine. Uh, minimal resources. I mean, he's a player, a player. He's a manager that, has often been mooted down here and the timing's never been right. But if you're a Coventry fan, you're going to be well pleased with how your side started the season, aren't you? Yeah, I think uh, if you look at it, they're back in their own home, their own stadium. And I think that's got to make a huge impact. Uh, I am, I'll be honest, I haven't taken a look at the crowds uh, they're getting. I know there seemed to be a, a bit of noise there when we beat, uh, when we beat, when they beat uh, Peterborough 3-0. Um and it looks like they're scoring some goals and playing some decent football. And when we played them towards the end of last season at uh, Birmingham, they were by far the better team. Uh, but it wasn't difficult to be better than us last season. So I think it'd be interesting to see. Like I said, I think two out of the three teams will pretty much go straight back up in Fulham and West Brom. Now, Sheffield United seem to be finding life a bit more difficult. Um, yeah, they did win. They did win today, and they beat Derby two-one. Uh, um, you know, so but you're right. I mean, they're not acclimatising themselves uh, particularly well, and you got to feel sorry for QPR because I watched a bit of the match last night against uh, against West Brom, and they didn't do too bad. And that's three in a row they've lost now. By all accounts, being the better side in all uh, three games. I mean, it's still too early to make any assessments as to how good we might be or how indifferent some other clubs might be because, you know, Millwall, you know, if they beat us on Wednesday, they're only a point behind us. And at the moment, they're just sort of like three or four points off uh, the relegation places. Uh, you know, we, we mustn't jump to uh, conclusions, must we, at this uh, earlier stage? No, but I think it helps to get points on the board because the first target I'm looking at is we need to get to 50 or 53 points to make sure we stay up because it's okay having a three-year plan. But if you get relegated in year one, then the plan plan goes out the window. Uh, so I think it's, it's important. That's what I tend to look at. And I think anything, um, you know, you mentioned earlier on about 65 points start of the season. I said, I looking at the, the squad and all the rest of it, if, and after last season, you've got to always put the caveat and if, we don't have bad injuries. Um, then I, I said 12th or 13th was where I thought we'd finish 65 points, something like that. I mean, playoffs are normally 10 points more than that. I, I can't see us. I can't see us doing that unless we have a ridiculously good uh, run of form and an awful lot of luck. Uh, but providing we we do that and then we strengthen the squad in the summer, Pearson's already said don't think we'll be doing much in January uh, which is a bit of a, a bit of a signal unless somebody goes out I, th I think he might go out and get the if you will the Chris Martin type center forward that that we need for when uh, Chris isn't available so he might do that I can't see him doing too much else unless unless there's a you know a big movement out um and, and I think 
we just need to take it week by week at the moment. I mean, at least now we've got the confidence to say, well, you know, we, we've got, a, I wouldn't, from Millwall or play the games I play the games if someone had said to me well you can have a point from Fulham and a point from Bournemouth or play the games I'd have taken the points so and you've got to just look at it and say well if if you win a game and draw a game you're averaging two points a game if you average two points a game you go up as champ no, I mean, I, I predicted uh, nine points in the six games uh, before uh, the, the international break and uh, a little bit sure of it at the moment. But look, I think the bottom line is we're uh, heading in the right direction. Tomo's just got home. He's put on there thoughts on what we need in the January window. We'll save that for uh, another day, Tomo. Yeah. And look, thanks for uh, everybody who's listened. Ian uh, has not been attacked by my dog as he's come into the house, but uh, welcome, Ian to uh, the Headhunter uh, residents and everybody who's listened, as always, thanks for your uh, support and comments. 90 episodes, 40,000 downloads now, which is pretty damn good, I think. I reckon we'll break through 50 before uh, 50,000 downloads before Christmas. And we, we haven't even got a sponsor, but nor are we looking when we do it for the crack. And uh, it was, as Ian said, if you're neutral today and you went down there, it was a good advertisement for championship football and City did okay and that's the best we can hope for. Cheers Ian and thanks everybody for listening. All the best. Yeah, God bless. All the best to everybody. Thank you. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you're still the last nugget snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times delivery and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.